Thank you for tuning in to a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy. Well, welcome to Centerpoint Church. My name is Aaron Master. I'm the pastor here. Our mission here is to help you take the next step in developing your relationship with God. We like to say we do here what every good Christian church should do, which is to help you connect with God in a worshipful way and help you grow in your relationship with Him. Our style just might be a bit different than what you're used to or other churches in the area, but we want you to know we're still true to the Bible. We take God very seriously here, and we want to guide and encourage you in your weekly walk with Him. Uh, this week, we're in week three of our series we've been calling Mondays Matter, and whether your Monday is at home with the kids or at school or in an office or online or some other workplace, Mondays can be rough, right? Mondays can be rough. Work can be rough. Yet what we do and how we live on Monday and every day of the week, it matters. It matters. Have you ever noticed, though, there's like no fun songs about Mondays? There are songs about Fridays, right? Like a ton of great songs about Fridays. You're getting excited. want to be a Friday night, right? Like it's awesome. There's songs about Saturday. Right? You can get excited about Saturday. There's even, Kanye West has even gotten into it on Sundays. You my chick on Sunday. But Mondays, crickets. There's nothing really, right? And rightfully so, because if we're real, Mondays are rough. You don't want to sing about them, right? Yeah, what we've been studying all month long in, or all month long is that God has created us for work. As seen in Genesis, we can see this. It says, Genesis 2.15, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. We're embracing the fact that work you do, your daily life, how you spend your time, not just your Sunday, your weekend, or your free time, it all matters to God. Today we're going to specifically look at how one is to work as a follower of God. Or in other words, what character traits or work traits should be priority? Now, there are a ton of positive life skills and traits to have for work, but today we're specifically looking at the traits we see in the Bible that were important in fulfilling purpose in life, achieving God's vision, and in how to approach work. Because wouldn't it be great if you just knew exactly how God wanted you to work? Or at least like two or three things, right, that you should maybe put emphasis on. Don't you sometimes wish that from like maybe your boss, your, your workmates or teammates, teachers, spouse even? I know I do, especially with my spouse. I wish I knew. I'm working my butt off sometimes, cleaning, trying to get the flat abs, trying to get dinner made, scrubbing toilets, sorting laundry on some days. Then my wife will walk in. Wait, can anybody relate with me on that, doing that for your spouse? All right, more of you should have your hands up. You should be serving your spouse, all right? Yep, my wife will walk in and she'll be like, I feel like we haven't been close. I feel like we're not connecting lately, or you don't care for me lately. Wait, what? Did you just see what I did? Like, really? Did you just see that? I'm doing all the things. This is because, to my wife, she honestly could care less about the things I do, because for her, it's all about touch. She wants touch, and not the touch maybe you're thinking about. She wants the long hugs, the smooches, the, you know, like, I like you, like rubbing on the back type gestures. That's what she wants for me. And I now know that 
I'm not perfect at it, but at least now I know, and it's a little more helpful in our marriage. Wouldn't it be great if you knew some things you should put emphasis on in your life to fulfill God's desires? Don't you want to have an idea of how God wants you to work and what you should prioritize? Or what things brought success to God's people in fulfilling their purpose and God-given vision in the Bible? Whether you're looking to fulfill God's vision for your life at school, at home, at work, or wherever, I think today's message is fitting for you. Because we are going to continue looking at Nehemiah, this guy in the Bible, and he also has a book in the Bible, uh, to see what type of things he puts emphasis on to achieve great things for God. If you haven't been here for the first few weeks of this series, here's what you need to know about Nehemiah. His story starts being a normal, average dude that's doing an average job. Uh, It's in the Old Testament, and he's of God's people, uh, but God's people were conquered. They were exiled and forced to move away. But now things are kind of changing during Nehemiah's time, and God's people are now starting to go back to their hometown, the return home after many years of being exiled. Well, Nehemiah's current job is working for that exiled king's nation, this nation that wasn't his own and He's a cupbearer, or in other words, he's the wine taster. He brings wine, he tastes it, and tests for poison for the king. Yet while he's in this job, he overhears that things are not going well for his people when they return home. Because his hometown city walls were in ruins. This breaks his heart inside because God's people are exposed to attack. So he requests, he goes to the king of that time, his, his, his boss essentially, and he says, hey, would you let me go and repair the walls? And the king says, yes. Hey, would you give me all the supplies to do it? And the king says, yes, right? So he goes and he starts to rebuild even amidst opposition, difficulty of being unskilled. Like he was a cupbearer, he wasn't a builder, and he's still able to pull this off and he becomes the governor of Judah. Now that's where we've gotten so far in the series, but... But that's kind of just like a 30-second overview of Nehemiah. If you look at anyone's story for just 30 seconds, you miss the details, right? You miss the character. You miss the real person. I don't know if you've ever noticed this in life, but the longer you're with someone, the more you see their true character. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. What I just gave you of Nehemiah isn't the full him. And it makes me think, actually, of like biographies or like the bios people would put on maybe like an online dating profile or maybe like their Instagram or Twitter or Facebook profile. Like, I, I wanted to look this up. So I looked up some cliche dating bios. It was on Quora.com. And these are some of my favorites. Like, so for, for girls, this is what they put in their bios. I love dogs more than you. I thought that was kind of funny. Like, what do you learn from that? Nothing, right? Or, oh, listen, I hang out with guys more because it's less drama. Let's go on an, uh, an adventure. Yay! I'm awkward, right? Like, what, is that, what does that teach me about you? Nothing, right? Or, so that was girls. Here's the guys. I had to block one out because some of the guys got a little inappropriate. But, like, uh, guys mentioning their workout stats. I can bench, blah. Posing with your shirt off. Just looking for something serious. What does that tell me? Nothing. Or maybe let, let's look at some Instagram bios. So, like, Instagram people will put, like, Uh, things that maybe associate with them. So you can't really see these, but I'll read them for you. It says, so this one guy, storyteller, creator. This one, speaker, host, your brain coach. Uh, This one, investor, right? There are all these like statements and words. 
I mean, it's cool that you list those things, impressive, but who are you really? Are you really just those five words? I, uh, as I was looking at this, I realized I don't, I had to look at my Instagram. I'm like, what is, what is my Instagram saying? And I realized I don't have a bio. So I was thinking, like, what should I put? What should I put? And I started to think, like, Aaron, intellectual, suave, <laughs> swole, dad, puppy lover, Jesus person. You know, I, I don't know. I, I can put whatever I want, right? True or sort of true things. But either way, it doesn't really get to the real me, whatever I put. Although these are typical bio or descriptions, it's not the way you or another should learn about someone's character, which is why you're actually forced to meet people and spend time with them in, in a friendship or a relationship or even like a working relationship. But what I'm getting at is character is what you do when no one is watching. It's what's internal. It's what you discover in someone over time. It's what you see them do over and over again. Proverbs 17.3, it says this, Fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but the Lord tests the heart over and over. God tests what's inside over and over of what our heart has going on in it. What would someone say about you? your heart, that not just knows you on Facebook or social media or from just an hour here and there of spending time with them, but someone that really knows you, what would they say they see in you? What type of character traits do the people you work with, the people that see you eight hours a day say you do, say they see you doing that's maybe God-honoring? And that's what we're going to look at today, specifically with Nehemiah. What character traits did he have to both get an opportunity to do work for God, but also lead to the success of completing meaningful work for God? Because I think a lot of us here, we want that. We want to be used by God, but maybe there are some things we need to work on and assess where we are at with some specific character traits that are important to God, <clears throat> that are important to God. The first thing that I think is important to call out that we can see in Nehemiah is he has humble courage. He was humble about who he is to his boss, he's humble to God, and he's humble to the people he's leading and working with. But he, has still, he still has courage to act, to approach, and to lead. I want to point out a few spots where you can see this in, in his book. Um, the first is right before he asked the king to go and lead the rebuilding of a wall. Uh, and this is his dialogue. He says this, uh, or it says this, The king said to me, What is your request? So I prayed to the God of the heavens. Then I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your presence, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my ancestors' burial site, so that I may rebuild it. He humbled himself to God as he prays, acknowledging that he knows the success of this, of whatever the king says, it's up to God. He's humbling himself to God. He knows it's dependent on God. He also humbles himself to the king. If it pleases the king, your servant, he says in the scripture. I'll remind you, Nehemiah, he is a member of an exiled nation working in a nation that is not his own. Should a foreign king have trust someone like Nehemiah? I mean, I don't know. I would think probably not, but I want to say the virtue of his faithful background to God and his personal character leading up to the point where the king decides whether or not to take him in, that's why the king chose him, his character and faithfulness. Nehemiah was humble 
yet courageous. Again, we're doing a deep character study here, so uh, I, want to, I want you to see more of this, see more of where he has humble courage. Uh, if we look at when he's approaching rebuilding the wall, it's in Nehemiah 2.12. Um, before he even like, talks to anyone about rebuilding the wall, he takes some time to study and to really make sure this is what God wants of him. Check it out. It's in 2.12. It says, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. He's going out to study. And then finally, once he's got kind of like some ideas, he goes to the officials to tell them his plan, and people got rallied behind him and his idea because he was humble. Check it out. It says, Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. They replied at once, Yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they, re- so they began the good work. It wasn't because of his ability. It was because of God. Again, Nehemiah was humble to God. He was courageous to approach people, but humble as a leader. And that mixture of the two got so many random people to build this wall. As you think about being humble, I think the greatest way to be humble is to show respect, to show rightful respect. He gave rightful respect to God. He gave rightful respect to the king of that time. And he gave rightful respect to the workers and his teammates. Where do you need more humble courage? Where do you need to show that respect? Are you showing respect to maybe your inferiors, superiors, teammates that maybe even people you disagree with? Are you showing respect to them? Where do you need to be courageous to maybe approach things but humble about it? The whole idea of having humble courage, uh, it makes me think of a movie that's called We Bought a Zoo. Has anybody heard of the movie? It's a little older. You're showing your age if you know We Bought a Zoo. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. It's not that old. But, uh, but there's a scene where this character, he talks about needing 20 seconds of insane courage where, while still being true to yourself. But this is the, the thing he says to his son, actually, because what happened is this character, the, the little context about it, this character, that's how he approached uh, asking his wife out, is like he had this insane courage to ask his wife out, and then all of a sudden she says yes, even though he like, felt inside, oh, I'm nervous about this. And now he's telling his son about that story so that his son would maybe do the same in the future. Check it out, and then we'll talk about it. What happened with you and Lily? I don't know. I guess I didn't listen to something she told me or something. I mean, I liked her. It's like you embarrass yourself if you say something. And you embarrass yourself if you don't. You know, sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage. Just literally 20 seconds of just embarrassing bravery. And I promise you, Something great will come of it. Insane courage. In the movie, he uses, again, insane courage to ask his wife out. My, uh, I was thinking of my story of asking my wife out. It's a bit comical, but I felt like I used insane courage, but also humble courage, what we're talking about today. Sydney and I, Sydney's the one that was singing here. She's my wife. Uh, and we met on a mission trip that I was actually leading, she was this new college-age attender, and I was a pastor at the church she was attending. But I didn't want to ask her out because I didn't want church to become this thing like, oh, I'm not going back there. There's a creepy pastor that asked me out. 
so it was slow. Like, I'm like, we should have coffee to talk about church things, you know, and like get you plugged in. And I had to take kind of like this courageous risk at some point, right? Because like we're having coffee and it's like going great. And I'm like, uh, is this this church or is this like she into me? Um, so then I'm like, I got I to gotta go for it. So I'm like, we should hang out sometime again and maybe do something fun. Would you want to do something like that? She left me hanging like that, and she's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, I'll email you. And then she's like, wait, do you just want my number? And I'm like, yeah, that, that would be better. That would be so much better. She won't let me down on that, that I didn't ask for her number, but that I was like, I'll email you. That's totally fine. Now, what that was, it was my way of kind of being humble, though, and not pushing it too far, not pushing her too far to be like, uh, to be like, oh, I, I don't know if I want to give everything to this guy quite yet, but still needing courage to actually ask her out. Although we aren't talking specifically about dating today, I want you to think, where do you need that kind of humble, embracing awkwardness, courage? Are you doing that at school somewhere? Are you doing that at home? Are you doing that at work? We need to make sure that we're doing that, but not only that, but we need to make sure we're treating our employers, employees in the same respectful way Nehemiah did the king, whether they are ungodly or godly people. As Christians, if our boss or coworkers are great men or women, we need to work hard and do the best job we can. If our boss, teacher, or coworkers are jerks, liars, hypocrites, whatever, we still need to work hard and do the best job we can. If you want change, to make a difference, to have success, to gain support, you need humility, courage, but it has to have humility with it. You might be arrogant for a little bit, but it catches up to you. It catches up to you. If you just are courage all the time, it catches up to you. Recently, I watched this show. It's called Anna Delvey on Netflix. Anybody watch it? All right. Some of you are maybe embarrassed to share that you've watched it. I don't know. It's like part fictional, part real. I don't know what part's real or whatever, true events. But it's about this girl named Anna who kind of cons people into making them think she's rich and successful by deceiving them, by, by lying to them. And she is confident. She's got courage to, like, say it all to them. Uh, we're going to watch a little clip from it, and then we'll talk about it. My name is Anna Delvey, or Anna Sorokin. No one's sure. She's either a rich German heiress, or she's flat broke. The charges are insane. Anna committed real white-collar felonies while posing as a socialite in an attempt to steal millions of dollars. Hi, Anna. I just had some questions. I have a question. What's you wearing? She has everything that is wrong with America right now. Hey, I'm famous. People are painting a public picture of me as some criminal. Maybe it's what's helped if you stop thinking about me like everyone else. Like basic, you know? What do you guys think? The most expensive resort in Morocco. I realized the clues were there all along. She put. In the show, she's mean. She just tells people how it is. She's entitled. And she's able to do a lot with that courage that she has. For a while, but then eventually every person abandons her. Although that isn't right on their part to abandon someone completely, but what you can see from the show is courage on its own can get you somewhere. It definitely can. But humility is necessary in the long run. As you think about humble courage, would you say you have it? Do you have humble courage? Where do you need to be more humble? 
to, to God's leading, to placing you maybe in the current place you're working at right now, to maybe submitting to his will in some capacity. Maybe it's to uh, make sure that to your boss, your coworker, your teammate, whether they're a Christian or not, you need to make sure that you are humble to them. Where do you need more courage? Do you need to maybe have the courage to ask that person out or to move forward with an opportunity that you are intrigued about or move forward with an idea you maybe have? Do you have humble courage? The second thing we can see uh, in Nehemiah's character that I think is universal for, for all of us is Nehemiah was for others. He was for others. The whole concept of the wall being destroyed and his desire to rebuild it, it was for the protection of other people. Now, he wasn't even living there at the time. He wasn't even at that city at the time. This wall was somewhere where he was not. He was for others, specifically in need. And it wasn't like this one-time thing. Again, we're looking at character traits, things we see over and over again in people. And Nehemiah's heart, it showed he was for the oppressed. He was, again, for people. Uh, it says this in Nehemiah 5, 1 through 5, and it kind of shows this. Uh, I'll read it for you. It's a little longer, but hang in there with me. It says, About this time, some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. They were saying, We have such large families. We need more food to survive. Others said, We have mortgaged our fields, vineyards, and homes to get food during the famine. And others said, We have had to borrow money on our fields and vineyards to pay our taxes. We belong to the same family as those who are wealthy, and our children are just like theirs. Yet we must sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. We have already sold some of our daughters, and we are helpless to do anything about it, for our fields and vineyards are already mortgaged to others. This is happening during the process where Nehemiah is in the middle of his project. He's rebuilding the wall. He's already in the process. He's got builders working on it. And he starts hearing this of God's people right in the midst of it. It's something that I'm sure sidetracked his goal of rebuilding the wall. Yet Nehemiah stands up for them and fights for them because it's in his character. See what happens next. Uh, the next verse, it says, When I heard their outcry in these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, You are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, As far as possible, we have brought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. The people had nothing to respond with. And a few verses down, it says this, We will give it back, they said. We will release them. And we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say, Nehemiah. Nehemiah has a frequent character trait of caring for the oppressed, caring for people. You might be wondering, is this really a character trait that's needed to have work matter or for fulfilling God's vision in life? And I will say without hesitation, absolutely. Absolutely. God is always for the oppressed. Check out Luke 4, 18 to 19. This is Jesus speaking. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Again, this is Jesus. This is one of the reasons Jesus came. Jesus came to care for the people, to save them from death, or separation from God. Where do you need to replicate that in your own life? Where is that for you? 
Honestly, this is a, a blunt statement, but I'm going to say it because I don't want you to miss out on being used by God in your life. You might be amazingly talented at things, but you just might not care enough for other people to be used by God. You might not. Ye, right? Caring for people means you might have to slow down. It might mean you just have to listen. It might mean you might have to stand up for something that doesn't directly impact you. It might mean putting your goal or dream on pause. It might mean putting yourself on the line for the sake of others. That's caring for other people. That's living like Jesus. Where do you need to embrace a lifelong character trait of that? That people would say they see in you as we can say we see in Nehemiah. For you, is it through serving or the support that you give an organization because you're just there often? You're always serving there. Is it through where you donate or give? Is it, is it where you spend your free time? Is it how you treat people that are differently than you? Is it who you advocate for? I get it, right? I get it. Like you can't have this intense care for every person or every organization. But where are you caring for people? Where is that place for you? For you, maybe right now, like the whole Russia-Ukraine thing, Maybe, maybe that's the, your passion. I know there's some people who are sending like Afghans over there, like scarves and things like that, to, for people to care for them. I know people who have sent money there. Maybe for you it's, it's not that, but maybe it's Fond du Lac. Maybe there's something in Fond du Lac. I know someone who, who bought a fellow at Salvation Army shoes because that is what he needed. I know someone who, at this church, they paid for the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University classes so others can learn to live debt-free. That is amazing. There are people who, who give here consistently and serve here in church so others can come to know Jesus. And we have a place that we can provide for people to know Jesus. Where do you care for people? And not just say, hey, we should do something for those people in Ukraine or we should do something for people in Fond du Lac or somewhere else. And then just place it on someone else and never do anything about it. But you actually go do Act on it like Nehemiah did. The last thing that I think is a universal trait that Nehemiah had that God is looking for in people he uses for a purpose is consistent perseverance. You might be like, Aaron, you're cheating on this one. Those are two different words. Maybe. <laughs> uh, but I think it describes Nehemiah, uh, what he does, really well. Consistent is, is doing something continually, right? Regularly. Perseverance is not giving up. Not stopping even when it gets hard. Staying at it. I guess when you combine the two words, I think you get like persistent, right? Uh, but I like consistent perseverance better because I think it has a lasting effect on you. Nehemiah, his journey, he had a roller coaster of emotions. Good, the bad. The wins, the losses. He had to make changes. He had to adapt. I want to just kind of show you the course of his journey that we can read about in the Bible. In Nehemiah 2.1, this is before like, he's even doing anything about the wall. I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. He's sad because he heard about the wall being in ruins. Then all of a sudden, Nehemiah 2.6, it says, The king agreed to my request. Yay, like I get to go and rebuild the wall. But then he gets there. And then all of a sudden he starts assessing things. 2.13, it says, After dark, I went out through the valley gate, past the jackal's well, and over to the dung gate. Right? That doesn't sound good. Uh, to inspect the broken walls and burn gates. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but my donkey couldn't even get through the rubble. He's got to deal with like, all the damage, the wreckage. 
And that can't feel good inside. Yet all of a sudden, a couple verses later, uh, he, he's talking with people, and he tells them about his plan, and they say, yes, let's rebuild the wall. Yay, right? Like, yay, we're on a journey. We're doing this together. But literally one verse later, one verse after this, they scoffed. Other people show up to the room. They scoff contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you just rebelling against the king, they ask? Like, highs to the lows, the highs to the lows. Well, all of a sudden, he gets all these people working on the wall. Yay, all these different families working on different gates. It's amazing. And then all of a sudden, you have someone else that shows up and says this. Like, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked on top of it. Like, come on, he's being mocked. And then, like, go a couple chapters later, Nehemiah 6, 9, it says this. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will be too weak for the work, and it will not be completed. Right? That doesn't feel good. But he prays. He prays for God to strengthen him. Others kept working. He adapts. He strengthens. And he just keeps going until the wall's finished. Nehemiah, he goes through the ups, the downs, the roller coasters of feelings. You know what character trait he had? Perseverance and consistency. He stayed the course. How often, if just maybe one of those things happened to you, would you have derailed from your plan? Or, de- or maybe even just been like too reactive about things. Maybe stopped or changed too much. I know the struggle of this. Like, uh, I've gotten a little bit better at it, but I, I tend to like react way too quick. Like, oh, we're having another baby. We've got to change everything. You know, like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be really tough. Or, oh, I find out in six days it's going to rain when I have something planned. I'm like, oh, we've got to change all the plans. We've got to change right now. Or I learned this person's maybe not coming even though I was planning on them coming, and now I'm like, we've got to change the whole plan. It's like everything's, everything's changed now. I'm a little reactive, or I'm too much reactive to little news, to information, to feelings, to changes at times, when it should be slower. It should be consistent. It should be with perseverance. I want you just to think for a second. Think about any person who you think has started or achieved something great. Consistency is what separates them from others. So again, be blunt for a second here. Consistency is what separates wannabes from achievers. Where do you want to achieve? With an idea, a project, a work, marriage, financial goals, faith, lifestyle change. Like Nehemiah, you can be consistent. You can have perseverance. You can finish. You are a finisher if you set your mind to it and keep going forward. As I I, uh, was wrapping up college, I started to become a runner. Uh, that wasn't like my, normally my thing, but I started to become a runner, and I got pretty good at it. Today, not so much. I've been getting a little lazy lately. But uh, in college, I, I like set my, this is like my last year in college, I set my mind to run this marathon, uh, 26 miles. Uh, I trained for months, planned to qualify actually for Boston. That was like where I was at. I had to run like a three-hour marathon. That's kind of what I had to go for, which is like sub-seven-minute miles. Um, And I'm training for this marathon. It was crazy intense time commitment, both in the running and also the recovery from the running. Uh, I do these like 20-mile runs on the weekends, uh, on the weekend mornings usually, and it takes me like two and a half hours. And then I just, I remember so vividly like waking up early, going on this two and a half hour run, and then I'd get back to like my apartment where I had my roommates and stuff. I'd make a pizza, and literally I'd lay in bed the rest of the day. I'd eat the whole pizza, and just, I, I felt disgusting, yeah. Um, but anyways, 
I'd be laying in bed, and my roommates still haven't even woken up yet. Like, that's how bad it was. <laughs> um, but anyways, I'd be laying in bed, and I trained so hard for this race. Well, it came to race time, and it was a spring race. I trained in 20 to 50 degree weather, zero degree weather even at times. It was a winter, race, or winter training period. Well, the race day came, and I think it got to 85 degrees. 85 degrees, and it got, it got bad. It got so bad that they actually canceled the race mid-race. I was definitely like hitting a wall hearing this, like because you're running the whole time and you're hearing this. I was also feeling the heat, right? It was way hotter than what I've trained in, but I was bound to finish. I was going to finish it. I was going after it, and I did. I did, and I finished much slower than I wanted to, but I finished. I took consistent steps and persevered. Now, looking back on this race, they, uh, this is actually like two years ago, I think this article came out. I was looking it up. It says more than 7,000 runners participated in the race that day, and 51% of them didn't get a chance to finish. I was in the other 50%. Because one thing you won't see me do is quit. I'm not the best. It wasn't a fast time or anything like that, but I'm not a quitter. I'm not a quitter, and Nehemiah wasn't a quitter either. The thing that, that's tough in assessing this character trait of whether or not you're a quitter or not is, is like, how do you know? How do you know if someone's a quitter until they quit? Well, you don't. You don't know if someone is a quitter or not except through their consistency. Your consistency says it all. Your perseverance until your time is through is what shows is what you can assess. Imagine if we didn't quit things that were what God wanted for us. Maybe it's a life plan, a goal, a dream, a faith, a marriage. I'm not saying these things to guilt you, but to encourage you today. We see Nehemiah, he had consistency to work a job until God decided to use his position, to work against opposition time after time, to have perseverance to accomplish God's vision. If he didn't, we wouldn't be reading about him today. If he didn't have this character trait, he would just be a name. Where do you need consistent perseverance? Where do you need to be persistent? One of my favorite passages, it talks about this directly. It's in Romans 5, 3 through 4. It says, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. What do you need to finish? What do you need to endure? As a wrap-up, which of these character traits do you think is important to live out to make your Mondays matter to God so that God can then start using you for a vision, for a greater purpose? For you, is it humble courage? Maybe for you, it's being with others or, being, or caring for others. Or maybe for you, it's, it's having consistent perseverance. The greatest example, I think, of each of these is Jesus, is Jesus. Jesus was a servant and respectful. He had humble courage to act on what was right, and he respected people. Jesus was for you. He's for others. It was the whole reason he was sent. Jesus, Jesus like, had consistent perseverance even too, even when it got hard, even when like, people left him, even when it went to death. He had consistent perseverance. If you today are now seeing those traits those, those important character traits, as things you want to embody or have be part of your life, I pray that God helps you develop them. But I think one of the greatest ways for you to develop them is to be aligned with God. 
who both models it and is also personal in leading you to model them. Jesus wants a relationship with you and wants you to embody those things. And if you feel called to living out those traits today, it might be God calling out to you right now. If that's you and you've never embraced being a follower of God, I encourage you to start a relationship with God. It starts by you just saying in your head and your heart that you know you're not perfect. You need God in your life. You need his forgiveness for your wrongs and that Jesus' death and resurrection is for you so that you can be with God today and in eternity. If you say that in your head and your heart, whenever you're a Christian, you can start having a relationship with God that will guide you to getting some of those character traits that are so important to God that both will give you more opportunities to have your Mondays matter, give your life purpose, and opportunities to be a person who has the character God is looking for to give vision to. I'm going to pray that God reminds us the importance of, of courageous humility, of caring for people, and consistent perseverance. If you want that, you can pray with me right now. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, just giving us the example of, uh, of Nehemiah. Thank you for having him be so humble and courageous, having perseverance and being consistent. And, and God, thanks for, for Nehemiah caring for, for people so much. God, all of us are, are maybe wanting to be used for a vision, for something that you have a calling for us. Uh, and God, we want to embrace that and uh, we, want, we want to embody these character traits so that we can really live it out the way you want us to. So God, uh, whatever that one is for us that we need to work on or, or to have be a part of our life, I just pray that you make that easy. Give us ideas on how to do that well. And then God, some of us, we see Jesus as this amazing model of that. And we want to become a follower of Jesus so that we can embody these traits and have them be a part of us and that Jesus can teach us directly. So some of us are saying we want that connection with you today, right now. We ask these things in your name. Amen.